This is Play-By-Play Cast. Is that faster than a greyhound? The podcast about play-by-play guys. For play-by-play guys, by I'm told, a play-by-play guy. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. Now here's the host of Play-by-Play Cast, Todd Bodet. Wait, the Motel 6 guy? We'll leave the light on for you. No, Joel Godet. Joe Godet. Joel. Joe. Joel? Joel, with an L. Okay, here's your host, Joel Godet. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. We have reached episode 49 of Play-By-Play Cats. On the road today from Claire, Michigan. The Ball State Baseball Cardinals taking on Central Michigan this weekend in the finale of the regular season. So we stay in Claire, which is about 20 minutes north at a very haunted hotel, the Hotel Doherty. The Cardinals swept Central Michigan back in 1999 when staying at the Hotel Doherty. So we have stayed there ever since, the haunted hotel. I believe the front bar area was a mob hideout, which is kind of the genesis of all of this uh, many, many, many years ago. But uh, it's a little bit haunted. So we'll throw that in there to start off the podcast here today. But thanks as always for joining us here on a Friday morning. Thanks for clicking subscribe and or download. If you'd like to interact with the pod on social media, feel free to do that as well. We are at PXPCast or I am at Joel Godet, J-O-E-L-G-O-D-E-T-T. My email address is jgodet, J-G-O-D-E-T-T at bsu.edu, bsu for Ball State University.edu. Would love to hear from you if you uh, listen to the podcast. Enjoy it. Don't enjoy it. Uh, guests, suggestions, questions, comments, concerns, all of those good things. Uh, hit us up on social media or on email. Our guest today is Mark Janes. He is the voice of the Indianapolis 500, so he's going to have quite the busy week upcoming. The Indy 500 uh, is not this coming Sunday, but the Sunday immediately after, so the Sunday before Memorial Day every year. And uh, it's a spectacle, certainly in racing, but it's also a spectacle from a broadcast standpoint, and that's why I wanted to have Mark Janes on. This will be his second year as the voice of the 500. He took over last year as just the sixth voice ever for this event, and now, now it hasn't been on the radio for all of them, but this will be the 101st running of the Indy 500. They've had six voices in the entire history of the event. Uh, and I was curious. I'm not a big auto racing, NASCAR, IRL guy. Talk about that with, with Mark a little bit. I'm, I'm a racing neophyte. I don't really understand the sport. I'm one of those kind of people that looks at it as turning left a lot. Uh, I've never been to a race. It's something I really have to do at some point or another, especially the 500, just to, to check off a bucket list item. And I don't mean any of that out of disrespect. I just haven't been exposed to a lot of racing in my life or in my career. I'm trying to think of another analogy. I mean, like it, it, it would be like a, a chef that has never worked with pastries before. Like it's nothing against pastries. They just don't know a whole lot about it because they don't make them that often. Um, but I was curious because it's such a, an obscure object to me, what broadcasting a race is like on radio and what in particular broadcasting the Indy 500 is like on radio. So I figured with the race coming up this coming week, uh, and my relative, uh, curiosity about it and, and lack of knowledge about it, why not have Mark Jans on the podcast and 
learn a little bit about it for myself, and then hopefully some of you out there take something away from it as well. So we're going to talk a lot of auto racing today on the podcast with the voice of the Indy 500. We're going to get right into it. His name is Mark Janes, and he is with us on episode 49 of the Play-By-Play cast. So what was it like after the fact to be the uh, voice of the Indy 500 for the 100th running as your first go? Well, I had the uh, the uh, fortune, I think, of, of being able to, to kind of pick the brains of uh, three of my predecessors, uh, Paul Page and, and Mike King and Bob Jenkins. And, uh, you know, they, they had prepared me plenty for not only the, the preparation for the race, but uh, also, as you suggest, the postmortem. And I think Mike King probably hit the nail on the proverbial head when he said if uh, – when it's over, you can remember much past the last 10 laps. He said, I would, I would consider yourself fortunate. Um, <laughs> and, and, and I remember once, you know, the, the close was pre-recorded. Uh, that's by design for timing purposes for our producer. And I can remember I sat there and listened uh, to, to, to the close. And I remember pushing myself back away from the counter a little bit. I, I had stood for most of the race, but sat down during the post-race and and, and, and my hands were shaking. Um, and, and I think, you know, as I go back and, and reflect upon it, um, you know, during the show, uh, we have two intercom channels, off air channels. One, we communicate, I can communicate with just the turn announcers and the other channel, I can communicate with just the pit reporters. Um, now, in both of those instances, I have four people that I'm communicating with on each one of those channels. But at that same time, our producer, Chris Pollock, who coordinates sound and, and, and commercial breaks and things of that nature, uh, is, is in my intercom channel constantly. So is our, our network director, Wally Lett, who monitors race control for any potential penalties or issues or when we're going to go back to green or things of that nature, when the pits are open or closed. And I have Brian Livingston, a pit producer who, when I'm on the track side, Brian has the ability to communicate with the pit reporters and then hand me notes and let me know when someone has something so we can break away from the calls. And Oh, by the way, there's a multi-screen monitor in front of me uh, with all of the camera angles around the racetrack. Plus there's timing and scoring. I'm keeping track of. So I think Joel, what, what, what it boils down to, your mind is you get so many proverbial balls that you're juggling. Uh, it's, it's just mentally and, and emotionally, as Bob Jenkins says, the hardest thing that I've ever done. But it's something you just can't wait to do again. If, uh, if I can go back and then kind of rework to the present day, uh, one of the things I think is cool about uh, your particular path and the, the way you've gotten to where you're at is, Obviously, uh, you go home at the end of the day, and uh, you know the, the Indy 500 will end, and on Monday you go to school. Uh, t- tell me a little bit about just kind of uh, what you do professionally and, and how you balance out both of these things. Well, I think uh, I've described it to people with some of the things that I do is that I, I guess it's an attempt to just simply be average at a lot of things, and I, <laughs> I say that somewhat facetiously. I'd like to think I'm a little better than average. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I, I kind of transitioned to uh, – accidentally to education several years ago. I mean, I was, I was, I was part of uh, some cutbacks and after a change of ownership of, uh, of some stations in Terre Haute. And, um, and, but by that time I was uh, firmly entrenched with uh, the IMS radio network. And so um, 
I just started substitute teaching at Monrovia High School and then um, uh, parlayed that into a, a full-time position as, uh, as a teacher's aide and, uh, and then got into coaching. Um, still dabbled in broadcasting uh, outside of uh, the IndyCar series with the IHSAA Champions Radio and Television Network and, uh, and uh, with, with MS Communications in Indianapolis, oddly enough, the station that eliminated my job at Terre Haute. <laughs> I, I, didn't, I didn't burn that bridge with any youngsters that are listening. Don't ever do that. You know, leave quietly and thank them for the opportunity and realize you may get an opportunity with them down the road. And I enjoy a great relationship with those folks here in Indianapolis to this day. So, um, you know, I, I worked there for five or six years. Uh, believe it or not, was able to uh, to to reach the point to where I had the opportunity to, to to be the head football coach at Monrovia High School for for two years. And then, quite frankly, Joel, it became difficult to juggle all of that with the the expansion of the Verizon IndyCar Series, the increased level of commitment, and I decided that I wanted to do racing longer than I wanted to coach. Because uh, to, be back, to be quite frankly uh, frank with you, the schedule's a little easier, and you don't have to deal with parents. Uh, so <laughs> I uh, I decided to go racing uh, uh, almost full time, but still needed something to do during the downtime. So I had an opportunity to reconnect with someone I had known for a number of years, and Paul Kaiser. Uh, my association with him dates back to 1983 when he was a basketball coach at Monrovia, and I did the PA for him. And Paul was the superintendent of schools at Beach Grove. And he offered me an opportunity to come here. And I, I've been working in their communications and athletic department for the last five years. And uh, in addition to that, I've uh, been working with the IHSAA Champions Network. Uh, I've, I've helped Bob Lovell over the past few years with some scoreboard updates of the wintertime just for, for things to do. And, and I think juggling all of this, uh, this time of year is difficult. And maybe in the fall a little bit, Joel, because um, – it's it's those two times when everything I do is kind of occurring at once. Uh, fortunately, the majority of our racing schedule uh, takes place in the summertime when we're out of school, and that's what makes a, a career in education so attractive. But make no mistake about it, our our superintendent again, Dr. Kaiser, our principal Liz Walters, and and our athletic director Matt English have have supported me. Uh, without waiver uh, in 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 my quest to 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 be a part of the 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 uh, Verizon IndyCar series and and the IMS radio network and they give me the freedom and flexibility I need uh, to travel when I need to travel. So um, you know I I guess at the end of the day the beauty of it, Joel, is I'm very very fortunate. I don't do any one thing long enough to get tired of it. I, I get a I get a break from the IndyCar series every winter. Uh, I get a break from school every summer, and I get some time off from doing uh, the state championship events for the for the IHSAA. So. Well, let's get into the nitty gritty of it. Uh, like I told you when I when I set this up, I'm I'm not a huge by nature NASCAR fan or IndyCar fan. Like I I I I just don't know a ton about racing, so that's why what you do intrigues me so much. Um, how does play by play of an event like the Indy 500 work? Uh, I know there's pit reporters, you've got turn reporters, um, and then obviously there's you, you've got a driver analyst as well. How does it work making all of those things work in concert and creating one big connected picture? Well, I wish I had uh, a well-thought-out technical explanation <laughs> for it. Uh, I just don't. Fortunately for us, uh, here in 2017, uh, we can thank Sid Collins, uh, who is, I affectionately refer to him as our godfather. And, and while 
I continue to come to grips with people calling me the voice of the 500. For me, uh, that was, is, and will always be said. Um, I'm, I'm one of the voices over the years for sure, but the voice of the 500, in my opinion, Sid Collins. And I think you look at Sid, then you go to Paul. Uh, you look at Lou Palmer, uh, Bob Jenkins, Mike King, back to Paul, and then me. Um, all of those before me, uh, Joel, um, made subtle changes and sometimes drastic and radical changes over the years uh, to work toward a format uh, that 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 we now em- employ the, the 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 basics of. Um, you know, I, I worked in, in Terre Haute. I worked for a couple of stations that uh, were satellite music network affiliates or tied into a, 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 a satellite show of some kind. And so, um, you know, as you well know, if you have a one minute newscast at the top of the hour, that doesn't mean a minute two and it doesn't mean 58. That means it's got to be a minute. And so I did that for a number of years. And I think I learned timing. Um, the coaching aspect of it and running a program, I ran the middle school program at Monrovia for, for seven years before I moved up to the varsity level. Uh, I had a chance to learn from some great coaches like uh, uh, Jim Kaiser, Hall of Fame high school football coach, and Todd Croy, a longtime coach in, in softball and football at Whiteland. I learned organizational skills from them. And so I think I pulled a lot of those things into my motorsports broadcasting career and then I had the, the chance to learn from some of the names that I mentioned to you, in addition to guys like the late Gary Lee and Doug Rice from Performance Racing Network. So, you know, I, I, I've had just a, a, a wealth of opportunity uh, to learn how to, how, to, how to apply this trade and, and hone this craft from, from some of the best of, of, of all time. And, um, you know, I've taken a little bit from each and, and every one of them. Um, but I also think much like more traditional stick and ball sports. Uh, it's not just about me. It's Davey Hamilton, the driver analyst, figuring fuel strategy. It's Donald Davidson offering up, you know, uh, in, in informative bits about how this race ties into races in the past. Um, it's 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 the it, Rob Howden and Kevin Lee and 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 Dave First and Michael Young with with what they're gleaning from pit road. And then, you know, there's four of the best play-by-play guys that you'll find anywhere in the world. And Jerry Baker, uh, Nick Yeoman, uh, Jake Query, and Chris Denary. Uh, I think there's a trust there. There's a mutual respect there. Um, and then there's the folks behind the scene. Our engineering department, headed up by uh, by Rick Evans and Norm Birnbaum, and and then and then of course Chris Pollock, our producer, is just the best in the world. Chris has to think a half a step ahead of me. He has to anticipate where I'm going and when in order to get that right pot slot, you know, slid up when it needs to be slid up and where. Um, so, you know, I, I guess I, I could take credit for being the conductor, if you will, but the best conductor in the world is no good without an orchestra. And I just so happen to be blessed with, I think, what is the best in the world from top to bottom. You spent a long time as one of those uh, turn reporters as well. Were you, turn, were you in turn three or turn two? I was in turn three, turn three for 15 years, as a matter of fact. Yeah, I, I worked a couple of years from 96 to 99 as a pit reporter. And then in 2000, I moved to turn three, and I stayed there until, uh, until, uh, until I was named the chief announcer. Sure. Describe the role of a guy who's in a turn and exactly what you're going through over the course of 200 laps. Well, I, you know, what I, I learned a, a, a few little tricks of the trade. I, I was lucky I had a uh, – 
a rather large video board right across from me. <laughs> and what I would do is I would rely on my cohorts in the turns to kind of give me an idea of what was going on. Uh, the start of the race is something to behold, especially from that vantage point at the end of that five eighths of a mile straightaway. Um, you know, when they come off of turn two and they're full song for the first time, it, it absolutely takes your breath away and you can't get caught up in the moment. As bad as you simply want to watch it, you've got to describe it. Um, so, you know, I would work with the turn two announcer at that time. It was Jake Query, and I would say, hey, anywhere around the halfway point of the back straightaway, you drop it to me. Um, and I said, if you got to keep it a little longer, keep it a little longer. If you got to keep it a little less, that's fine. I'll cover that. Then there's a wing in the wheels on the outside retaining wall in the North short shoot. That's where I would tell Kristen Airy, I would drop it to him. And if they needed me to adjust that, they could hit me an intercom and let me know. Um, but back to the video board later in the race, when we went back to green, I would watch the cars come by me on that final lap before we go back to green during caution, and I would make a mental note as to who the top 10 cars were. And then I would watch the video board on the race restart, and then I would listen to Jerry and listen to Jake. So when they came down the back straightaway, if the eighth car jumped out of line, even though I couldn't technically tell with 100% certainty, who that car was from that distance. I knew who it was based upon what I had watched the lap before and, uh, and, and, and by listening to, to, to Jerry and, and, and Jake and, and, uh, and, 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 and being able to make the call based upon that. Now that's not the way everyone does it. Uh, but, but that was just the, the, the system that I developed over the years and it, it seemed to work well for me for sure. In something that happens so quickly, uh, what do you, What's your process like in terms of what you can call out? Uh, is it very much focused on the X's and O's of who's in front and who's coming from behind and, and who's trying to pass and all of those things? Or, or what other kind of pictures are you trying to paint being the fact that you're doing the race on radio? Well, I think we're just trying to describe what happened to the best of our ability to the listener. Um, you know, Sid was big. And one of the things that we've tried to carry through over the years, the late Gary Lee was a big proponent of this. Uh, make sure when you're describing the colors uh, that, 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 you know, you're describing the cars, you include lots of colors. I know uh, I had made an observation uh, during one of our internet shows last year about a new paint scheme that Joseph Newgarden had on his car. And it was unlike anything I'd ever seen. And and I made the observation. I said, as far as the new livery this weekend for Joseph Newgarden, I don't think that's a color in the box of 64 that Crayola makes. <laughs> and and several people retweeted that and thought it was interesting. And, and, you know, Jake and I have this running dialogue about when when Simon Pagino is in the Menards car about it being, you know, that that fluorescent highlighter yellow. And so um, I, I think those are the things that help uh, that help bring people closer to the action and, and, and help, uh, help create that theater of the mind for sure. I think, I think colors are, are very, very important. And I think it's also important to make sure you tell people when you're making a call specifically where the car is on the racetrack in terms of painting that picture. You were three years, you said in the pit as well, uh, describe that job in the greater scheme of everything going on and, and managing, I'm sure what is a crazy environment, uh, trying to get your job done. Well, I know, you know, and, and I tell guys when we bring them on board and they first go to pit road, I, I have had crew chiefs stand one week when things are going well and give me the best interview that I've, I've ever had, uh, friendly, jovial, 
then the following week things aren't going real good and you walk up to them and you have a comment and uh they they just shove you out of the way they've got no interest <laughs> in talking to you and it's not personal because let's face it those guys have a lot on the line i think from a pit reporting standpoint it's important to spend a lot of time in the paddock so you get face time with those people one of the things that i always did i always ask a crew chief or a team owner when is a good time for me to come and talk to you? And when would you rather me not? Uh, they did not want me to come up and talk to them prior to a pit stop. Uh, as long as it was an extended caution, uh, they didn't have a problem talking to me after a pit stop. I knew Kevin Blanche, who's the technical director for the series, uh, was the crew chief for, for Panther Racing when Sam Hornish Jr. won his back-to-back titles. And, and I knew that after a pit stop, Kevin needed to do a quick debrief and then he'd hop over the wall and he'd come straight to me and I'd get a comment from him. So I think part of that, much like it is when you're covering a, a college football team or, or a major league baseball team or whatever the case may be, I think it's time spent away from your shows uh, in the paddock, uh, building that trust and building that rapport, and, uh, and but also knowing when to approach somebody and, and when not to. I uh, Buzz Calkins was the first co-champion with Scott Sharp in, in 96 when it, the IRL was formed. And, and I remember in 97, Buzz was struggling a little bit and he had a, a particularly bad qualifying effort. And so I walked up to him and I said, uh, can we get a word with you? And he said, well, if I say anything right now, I'm probably going to get myself and a lot of people on this team in trouble. So I'd, <laughs> I'd rather not. And so, you know what? I said, okay, that's fine. I said, just give me one sentence. And he said, we've got a lot of issues. We hope to get them sorted out and find a warm up. And so I wasn't going to put him in that position. And uh, he gave me what I needed. I said, you know, he, he, he was real. I, and I said, he wasn't real happy. And I repeated word for word what he said. And uh, he came up to me later and, 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 and thanked me for that. And, and it was a relationship that we were able to develop over, over a couple of years. So, you know, you just, you, you got to understand you know, I, while we are the conduit to the fans and the drivers and owners and teams need to understand that they still have a lot invested in terms of time and money and they, and they have a, they have a lot on the line and, um, and, and as hard as our job is, uh, the pressure on them is, is 10 times greater. And I, I, I think we need to be mindful of that. And I think most of us with IndyCar radio do a pretty good job of that. Our conference baseball tournament at Ball State and in the Mid-American Conference is always the same weekend as the 500. So since I've lived here, I've still never gotten to get to a race. I feel like a, I'm like a sacrilegious Indiana native. <laughs> um, but the one thing everybody has always told me is when that date comes where I have that Sunday free, I have to bring a radio because more than any other sport, there's something unique to being able to watch the 500 and listen to it at the same time. Right. What is it about the broadcast of the Indy 500 and about racing in general that makes the experience in person so much more special when you've got it in your ear? Well, and, and I think, and I go back and listen to shows from the 60s and 70s and, and 80s, 90s, and, 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 you know, the shows before I was a part of the network, sometimes I go back and listen to shows that, that I was a part of. And, and I think going back over the years, uh, and Sid again is the one that started this, uh, the overwhelming majority of the people who have worked for this radio network over the years, uh, either were native Hoosiers born and raised here, people that were transplanted here at a very early age and considered themselves Hoosiers. And I think first and foremost, we're not guys doing a job and never have been. 
uh, guys like the late Daryl Weibel, uh, a familiar name in, 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 in Muncie for sure. Um, uh, guys like uh, uh, Chuck Marlowe, uh, Howdy Bell, Doug Zink, Ron Carroll, all of those guys. Uh, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Radio Network um, was the fulfillment of a dream, a fulfillment of a goal. And it was an opportunity to be a part of, of the greatest sporting event in the world. And I think first and foremost, all of those guys and, and all of the guys that we have now are all fans of not only the Verizon IndyCar Series, but the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And we have such a reverence for it uh, because we grew up in our backyards on Sunday afternoons with our parents listening to the Indy 500. And to think that people are now doing that and, and listening to us is is something that's, that's truly humbling. I, I think what it boils down to, what separates us from a lot of broadcasts is the fact that each and every one of us are from here, uh, love this event, and at the end of the day, uh, we we were able to blend our abilities as, as broadcasters uh, with the fact that we're fans just like uh, people sitting in the stands. And I was going to say, did you ever think as a seven-year-old in your backyard interviewing fake drivers uh, that you would be interviewing the real ones uh, years later? Uh, Gosh, no, and, and, and you know, I, I've, I've got an event coming up on the 23rd uh, in Martinsville that I'm speaking at, and, and, and I'm kind of I'm, I'm doing a rough draft of, of, uh, of, of, of my speech, and, and I'm going all the way back to that fateful day in, in the, the mid-1970s when uh, and our, our old retired Marine Colonel principal at Hall Elementary, Niall Denny, told me I was a a lousy softball player and I might want to rethink being a major league baseball player and, and pursue a career in broadcasting or journalism. And, uh, I can still see that skinny little kid sitting on the floor of that home in Monrovia with that realistic cassette recorder. And, and as I trace the path, Joel, I see times that opportunities came up. And, and this is what I would suggest to, to any aspiring broadcasters that are out there. You know, I've applied for a lot of jobs that I didn't get. Some of them I didn't really understand, and I was really disappointed. But as I go back and see it now, Joel, I, I'm not sure that any of this would happen had the jobs that I thought I should have gotten at the time. If I'd have gotten those jobs, I don't know that the path would have led me to where I am right now. Sure. Uh, so, so all of that happened for a reason. And uh, if, if all of that was going to lead me to this point to be the, the sixth anchor in 64 years of, of the greatest race in the world, uh, I would take that same path all over again and not change a thing. I have one more in-depth question, and then I have two more quickies if I can do that with you, and then I'll, I'll let you uh, on your way back to back to school. Um, sure. The, the first one is from a preparation standpoint, and I guess part of that plays off of what we just talked about with the fact that everybody – on your crew is so entrenched in this race uh, that some of it will come naturally. But what's preparation like for an event like this? And when you show up on race day, what do you have in front of you, too, for points of reference? And, and how does your organization work to make sure that you know everything you need to know and you have it where you need to have it to pull off the best broadcast possible? Well, I think I have the advantage, and we have the advantage now that those once upon a time didn't have. I mean, it wasn't until 1996 uh, that, uh, that, that those guys and, and gals did, uh, you know, more than one race a year, which is uh, miraculous to me. And the fact that they were able to pull all that, pull all that off. I mean, you know, there, there's a core group there and Nick Yeoman and Jake query and, and myself and, and Davey Hamilton, Rob Howden, Dave first, Michael young, 
you know, we essentially travel with the series. So, you know, we, we go to St. Pete, we go to Long Beach, we go to Phoenix, we go to Barber, uh, now the GP of Indy. So, we, you know, we've got four or five races under our belt before we get there. So we're familiar with the backstory um, and, and the season to this point. So in that regard, for me as the anchor, plus having the disposal of so many people to be a part of that show, I, I wouldn't say that that, that that is the focus of my preparation. I probably spend the most time on making sure the pre-race time's out right so we can get into the pre-race festivities. We have a minute-by-minute minute that's produced by uh, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and the Verizon IndyCar Series and the folks with television. We try to blend that with our log, with our commercial breaks and the things that we have planned uh, for our pre-race interviews and vignettes and things of that nature. And, and, and my whole goal is to be able to say, now let's go trackside and get, you know, the invocation, get the anthem, get God bless America, um, get, get, get back home again in Indiana, uh, gentlemen, start your engines and all of that. Um, my whole goal is to get to that seamlessly. Uh, that's the biggest part of my preparation. Um, in terms of the race itself, um, you know, it's nice to have numbers in front of you, what drivers have accomplished at the 500 and what drivers have done to that point in the season. Although we don't talk that much about the season because I don't think points in the championship mean a lot to drivers during the month of May. True. I think they're solely worried about winning the Borg Warner and, and winning the Indianapolis 500. They'll start focusing on points again in the doubleheader weekend following that in Detroit. Um, but in terms of, of numbers and facts and figures, I mean, my gosh, I've got Donald Davis is sitting two seats down from me. Um, and so, you know, my preparation is just making sure uh, I am clearly moving the show forward, uh, getting to the segments that we need to get to and win, and making sure that we keep folks updated during the race on who the movers and shakers are, who the top 10 is constantly, the lap rundown and things of those nature. How do you handle calling an accident? Um, because I, there's two sides of that. I feel like the crashes are something that a lot of people like about racing, but at the other time, it's still an auto accident. Uh, what, what's the what's the what's the feeling like when that happens in a race and you're calling it? Yeah, I'm not sure that the that 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 the uh, I'm not sure that that true fans enjoy crashes. I think that's something cooked up by those of us in the media over the years. Gotcha. Uh, uh, but, but, but I, I, because of the, the element of danger, sometimes, um, I, I don't, your instincts take over at that moment. I've sadly, I've, I've had to, to call a few and, and some of them, you know, um, resulted in, uh, serious injuries or, or even, uh, even a fatality. And, um, you know, it's, it's, Unfortunately, a, a, a part of the, the challenge that, that, that you accept, um, I know a, a few years ago when we lost uh, the two-time Indy 500 winner, Dan Weldon at Las Vegas, yeah. I, don't, I don't know that anyone um, did a more masterful job of, of, of handling that more professionally and with more dignity than Mike King, our anchor at the time. And what made it particularly tough for Mike is that he and Dan were friends. Uh, they knew one another very well. And, um, you, you, you wouldn't have known that by the way that, that Mike handled himself. And, and I'm not saying he had a coldness or a callousness to him. He was just very professional about it. Um, uh, you know, and, and sometimes though, if you, you can, you could kind of poke fun at yourself a little bit. And, uh, I remember two years ago we were at Pocono and we were doing a qualifying session and Charlie Kimball was out on the track and, 
you know, Joel, there's only so many ways that you can get excited and sound exciting with one car qualifying going around an, an oval <laughs> or in this case a triangle. So I thought, well, it just struck me. Uh, I'm, I'm on a billboard and I'm right at the top of the fence. And I said, you know, uh, it, it, instead of instead of me describing Charlie Kimball uh, coming through turn number three, why don't I just hang the microphone over the wall and hopefully we'll bring you folks listening at home a little closer to Pocono. So I hang the, the, the microphone over the fence. And as soon as I do, you hear the brake squeal and Charlie hits the wall. Just like that. I mean, it was just at, on our part. It was just dumb luck. And, and you heard every squeal, every squeak, every piece of carbon fiber tearing. Happy to report Charlie was okay. But it, it, it quite frankly, it made for pretty cool radio for sure. And, and just reaffirmed it as, 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 as total theater of the mind. And that, and that got a, that got a lot of run and it, it, it got a lot of comments, but, uh, you know, accidents are just like, quite frankly, passes. Um, they're a part of the sport, but, uh, the main thing you have to remember is that, uh, you have to maintain a level of calm because, uh, you have to be able to, to describe it, uh, uh, accurately and clearly. And, and one of the things that we like to do, uh, you know, if, 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 if somebody will hit us in the intercom and say, you know, say for instance, turn three, Everybody knows to drop out. We go to Jake. He'll call the crash. Say, for instance, a two-car incident involving Tony Kanaan and Sarah Fisher on lap 45 here at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. We go to break right away. Then that gives Davey Hamilton an opportunity to see the replay three or four times. Then we come back out of commercial and we'll say, okay, caution on the course, lap 47, two-car incident involving Sarah Fisher, Tony Kanaan. Uh, Davey Hamilton, you've seen it. What happened? And then he can he can describe it uh, clearly, uh, figure out what happened and how. And by that point, the pits are open. We're ready to go to pit stop. So gotcha. that's how we handle accidents, by and large. I appreciate you answering that one because I know that can be uh, that can be tricky. Uh, I, I will let you go on this 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 note. Uh, and this is your second time as the anchor and uh, and as the voice of the 500. You didn't get to start it though last year because your predecessor started it and handed it off to you. Uh, what's it going to be like this year in the 101st running to be uh, able to start that race and, and kick things off? Well, you know, honestly, uh, I, I, I didn't mind that because let's face it. I mean, it's, it's, it, it's Paul page and uh, <laughs> um, I, uh, I, I, I got it and, and I am embraced it and, uh, and, and thought, uh, thought it was the right thing to do with, uh, with all that, uh, motorsports broadcasting, the radio network and the Indianapolis 500 is meant to Paul and vice versa. Um, but, uh, you know, to, in my opinion, Joel, really, I don't, I, I still won't start the 500. I think that's more or less Jerry Baker. I mean, I'm, I'm going to get him to the green flag and then quickly I'm going to throw him to him. So he's the guy with all the pressure. He's the one that's got to, <laughs> he's the one that's got to get it right. And, uh, he's done, I, I think, I think he started just after Ray Haroon's win in 1911 with the network. So uh, I, I kid him about that all the time. But no, <laughs> uh, Bakes, Bakes a Hall of Famer, and rightfully so. I think this will be his 38th 500. So um, I, I think um, I think discretion being the better part of valor, I, I think it makes perfect sense for me to allow someone the, the caliber of Jerry Baker to handle that call, and I look forward to, to passing it all to him. Mark, how do people find you on uh, on social media if they want to track you down or if they want to hear the race uh, coming up? How do they uh, how do they best do that as well? It's at James Mar J A Y N E S M A R. That's where you can find me on Twitter. I'd 
I don't do Facebook or any of that other stuff. And there's a, there's a long detailed explanation for that, but I won't go into it. But, uh, yeah, that, that's pretty much my extent of social media, but yeah. Uh, IndyCar.com, um, click on the radio, uh, icon. You can also follow, uh, IndyCar radio on Twitter at IndyCar radio. And, um, uh, we also have an IndyCarRadio.com website, uh, there you can get to the affiliates all across the country. Uh, as I said, we're always on IndyCar.com, not only for all Verizon IndyCar Series practices, qualifying, and races, but the same for the Indy Lights presented by Cooper Tire. So you can learn about who are going to be the stars five or ten years from now. We do all the practice sessions, qualifying, and, and races there. Uh, you can get us. Uh, they just changed. I think it's 209 and 214 on XM and Sirius. Uh, those are the lights races, IndyCar qualifying and the IndyCar races and the Verizon, uh, IndyCar mobile app. You can get us there too. So, uh, uh, and, and again, on, on those web pages that I, I quoted to you, uh, there's a list of affiliates all across the U S that you can, uh, you can get them. Also, if you see the good folks at racing electronics, uh, at, 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 at any track that you go to, you can get a scanner, listen to the drivers. You can also get our call on IndyCar radio off the, the track scanners at racing electronics. So, yeah. Well, Mark, uh, we, we've had Eli gold on the podcast, but we didn't talk a ton about racing. So you are our first, uh, you're our first in-depth racing conversation. So I, uh, I appreciate you, uh, entertaining a, a, a relative neophyte into the field. And, uh, and I, I, I learned a lot, so I appreciate you giving me some time, and uh, especially with all your media requests this week. And uh, best of luck uh, coming up for the race. I really appreciate it. Well, hand that baseball tournament over some year to a couple of rookies <laughs> that need the experience, and you come on up to IMS for the 500. It's a bucket list thing for you for sure. 100%. All right. Mark, thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. I appreciate it. Again, thanks a lot to Mark Janes for joining us here on the podcast, a guy that did not know me from Adam. I just hit him up on Twitter and basically said, hey, we do this podcast. I don't know a lot about racing on the radio. I was talking about it with some uh, people at work, and I got curious. So would you be interested in coming on and being a guest on this podcast? Uh, and with all of the media requests that Mark Janes gets this time of year, the fact that uh, he stepped out of the day um, – and talked with with us for a half an hour or maybe more. Uh, I am uber appreciative of that and uh, look forward to meeting Mark at some point down the line as well and uh, when his schedule comes down, picking his brain even a little bit more uh, in person. I'll be honest, I learned a lot from this one. I really did. The intricacies of how weaving the broadcast together works, how getting from turn to turn works, uh, how all of these different pieces work in concert. And that's the thing I, I was most curious about going into it was more than any other sport, more than basketball or baseball, uh, maybe golf is in a similar thing, but golf is much slower. Uh, you've got to weave all of these different pieces and vantage points and views together while the action never really stops. Um, so I was really kind of curious how that happens. And uh, it was interesting to hear Mark talk about how that all happened. Uh, so I got a lot out of this uh, today in this episode this week, and, and hopefully you guys uh, did the same. A little bit of a different uh, offshoot of what we normally do. But that is Mark Janes uh, joining us here on Play by Play Cast. Um, next week is episode 50, which is some arbitrary milestone, I guess, just because it's not a year, but it's it's a nice round number, close to a year. We're going to try and do something, I think, pretty unique on this podcast next week. It's going to be our first multi-guest episode and our first round table of sorts, if everything goes according to plan. 
I don't want to tease too much more because if it doesn't come to fruition, I've just promised a lot and delivered nothing. Uh, but that, I think, is the direction we're going on the podcast next week. So you're not going to want to miss that one. And as always, if you've missed any of the previous 48 episodes, you can always go back through the archives. Uh, they are all archived all the way back to episode one with CBS Sports's Carter Blackburn on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Again, thanks as always for clicking to subscribe and download. If you get a chance, by the way, do throw a rating and a review our way. It takes you a couple of seconds just to click the stars you think are appropriate for the podcast and uh, let us know uh, what you think if you can find that spot on iTunes or, uh, or on the sidebar on Stitcher as well. In the meantime, because Hotel Doherty has pretty thin walls, remember it's haunted, I'm recording this intro and outro uh, outside, and we're in Michigan, and it's kind of cold, and it's late, and the hotel's haunted, so maybe there's ghosts around, uh, but I'm cold, and you can probably hear the wind, so I'm going to go back inside and uh, hopefully not wake people while I'm editing this together. Hit it, Marshmallow. This is Play by Playcast, and we're out. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do.